0: When I was a kid, hockey was my favorite sport, and goalies were always my favorite players. I think it's probably because they had cool designs on their masks. Curtis Joseph had a vicious dog, inspired by the Stephen King book Cujo. Ed Belfour had some stylish eagles. And Jose Theodore had dragons! Literally the coolest thing in the world to an 8-year-old. I think it also had to do with how the role of the goalie seems kind of noble. In many ways, it's a thankless job. You don't get the glory of scoring the big goal, you get the shame of letting it in. As a goalie, the better your team is, the less you have to do. Because of this, though, in hockey, no other player can single-handedly take a kind of bad team and make them win games. As a fan of the Montreal Canadiens in the 21st century, that's probably the real reason I love goalies so much. To listen to me tell the story of the Canadians and their goalies circa 10 years ago is to listen to the closest thing to Athenian tragedy I have to tell you. A tale of heartbreak, glory, and inalterable, tragic fate. Maybe you'll think it's more Shakespearean. A tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. That's the thing about sports. It's just a bunch of people playing fun games. For it to mean anything, you have to care. You have to open up your heart. But, like with any kind of love, that makes you vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, you can get hurt. This then, is not so much a sports story, as a love story. Let me tell you the tale of Montreal and Yaroslav Halak in 2010. A tale full of highs, lows, and cringy parody songs. Welcome to Yaroslav Halak. Champions in our Hearts a podcast where we talk about sports teams that didn't win big metal trophies but still deserve our love. The Montreal Canadiens are the most storied and successful team in the history of the NHL. Of course, All of that success very coincidentally ended the year before I was born, as they captured their last Stanley Cup in 1993. My dad was from Montreal and my grandfather was a die-hard Canadians fan, so they became my team as well. For this episode, I spoke with Marc Dumont. He's written for The Athletic and is currently a special collaborator, working for the Montreal Canadiens themselves. I wanted to get some perspective on the teams of my childhood, So I asked him what the Canadiens' identity was in the early 2000s, when I first started getting really into hockey. I'd say their identity was that they lost their identity, Joe. That was really the identity of the Canadiens, was that they completely got away from what made them great, and they became another middle-of-the-pack team, which is unacceptable in Montreal. I also spoke with Eric Engels, a senior columnist with Sportsnet, who covers the Canadiens. I asked him the same question. We're talking about from like 2000 to 2006 or whatever, you know, they didn't have a particularly competitive team. So in the early 2000s, the Canadians were kind of bad. Not horrible, but not the legendary great team of yore. Both Mark and Eric mentioned captain Saku Koivu, who inspired everyone coming back from cancer in 2002. And they mentioned the two times the Canadians upset archrival rival Boston Bruins in the playoffs during those years. Montreal also had José Theodore, the goalie with the cool dragon mask, who won the Vesna Trophy as the league's best goalie and the Hart Trophy as overall most valuable player in 2002. Of course, as Mark points out, If your goalie is winning the Vezna and the Hart Trophy in the same season, that's not a great sign. Yes, it's a fun story, but... If you're planning out your season saying our goalie is the only reason we're going to be good, it's an issue. Okay, so the Canadians were an underdog, bad team with good goaltending. At least, that's how I'll spin my early years as a fan. If we fast forward a few seasons to 2005, hockey's come back from a lockout and cool Dragon Mask goalie José Theodore gets outplayed by this newcomer, Cristobal Huey. He's a French goalie, not French-Canadian, but from France and was a prototypical underdog. A late round draft pick, he was almost 30 when he won the starting job, so it's not like he was a hot prospect new kid on the block. One day, watching a game, the commentator explained why he wore his number 39. It was for his birthday, September 3rd. I was ecstatic. That was my birthday! As an 11 year old kid, this was the most important thing in the world. This underdog guy who played my favorite position for my favorite sports team had the same birthday as me. He was instantly and forever my favorite player. He played pretty well that season, but the Canadians lost in the first round of the playoffs. The next year, he made the all-star team, but then got injured, and the Canadians stumbled without him. The next year, almost out of nowhere, the Canadians were really, really good. They finished first place in the East. Everything was clicking. Enigmatic Russian star Alex Kovalev was putting up points, and Saku Koivu was still the heart and soul captain of the team. Huey was sharing the net with Carey Price, the team's new young hot prospect. Price had been the Canadian's highest draft pick in a long time, and was highly touted. At just 20 years old, he was basically sharing the net 50-50 with Hue. And they were both putting up almost identical, really good statistics. Montreal was rolling. It came time for the trade deadline when good teams traditionally try to get better, picking up talented players from bad teams in exchange for draft picks and prospects. What did Montreal decide to do that day? Break my heart. They traded Huey for a second round draft pick. As a now 13-year-old, hockey was still slightly ahead of girls and video games as the most important thing in life. My favorite player was just jettisoned for what seemed to me like no good reason. They didn't get anything back that would help the first place team. The job was just given to what I saw as this trust fund kid. They could have kept both goalies, that's how I saw it. Well, I got over it, and I still cheered for Montreal with everything I had. They finished as the first seed, they beat Boston in the first round of the playoffs, but then they lost to Philadelphia. And for the last time in my life, I threw a big temper tantrum. It was a real, we can't have nice things moment in life for me. Still, there was some reason for hope. The team had just finished in first place in the East, and they only got better on paper in the offseason. They were headed into their 100th season ever and wanted to make a splash. A lot of the talk that you heard in 2009 going into the Centennial season was like, you took this team that was quite successful and made it a lot better with the additions they made. And how did the season go? Well, it was an embarrassing season because because they had a lot riding on it and it was supposed to be special and it turned out to be anything but bad. The season had started off strong, but about halfway through they started to crumble. They did make the playoffs, squeaking into the last spot, but then were swept by the Boston Bruins, the most embarrassing fate that can befall a Montreal team. That year, Carey Price wasn't as good. He wasn't awful, but a bit below average. And I was still bitter about Huey getting traded. Montreal's backup was this guy named Jaroslav Halak. He was also pretty young, only a year older than Price. He was unheralded though, smaller and a ninth round draft pick. The draft didn't even have 9 rounds anymore. Halak put up better numbers than Price as the backup goalie, but Bob Ganey, Montreal's GM and also coach at the time, stuck by Price. I remember very vividly the postseason press conference, when a reporter asked Bob Ganey this question. Well, fans, people I've talked to, including my own wife, have said, why do you continually stick by Carey Price? What is the, you know, why does he keep putting Carey Price out there is the question I'm asked. Well, you know, because everybody's saying, well, Halak, why not put him in? But what is there about Carey Price that that you seem to be so ready to defend all the time? Well, I think Carey Price uh, is a thoroughbred. And your wife may not recognize it, uh, but, uh, you know, I I don't bake bread very well either, so, you know, we each have our expertise. I was livid. Still bitter about Huey being traded, here was the man who gave him away, making a brazenly sexist comment, all while refusing to play the guy who had just been better. If you've ever been cut from a sports team, you have to feel for the unheralded guy who Outplays the chosen one, but never even gets a chance. Halak became my new favorite. In the wake of that disaster of a season, the Canadians remade almost all of their team. Practically the only thing that wasn't touched was the goalie duo of Halak and Price. There was a new coach, Jacques Martin. Halfway through the year, Bob Ganey stepped away from his role as manager for personal reasons. The new-look Canadians once again finished in 8th place. One thing that was different new coach Jacques Martin showed a willingness to play Halak, who had once again put up better stats than Price. By the end of the season, Halak had won the starting job. So, with the Canadians having just squeaked into the playoffs, they would have to play the best team in the entire league, the Washington Capitals, led by the greatest goal scorer this century has seen, Alexander Ovechkin. There wasn't any Boston Bruins voodoo magic to lean on, the Canadians were big-time underdogs. In a twist of fate, the Capitals' goalie that season was Jose Theodore, the former cool dragon mask-wearing MVP. His star had fallen a bit, and in fact he would lose his starting job in this series. Well, Montreal won the first game in overtime, with Halak and net, But then they lost the next game, 6-5 in overtime. And they lost again, Halak had another bad game, getting pulled halfway through. The Canadians went to Carey Price for Game 4, and they lost. They were down 3-1, and written off by pretty much everyone at this point. Of course, I probably wouldn't be making a podcast about it if that's how it ended. But it's not just that the Canadians came back and won that makes it special. It's how they did it. They won game five, two goals to one. Halak was back in net and stopped 37 of 38 shots. A great performance. It was the next game where things really took off. With the Canadians back in front of the home fans, Halak turned aside the first 50 shots he faced, the team got the win, and a legend was born. Halak did it again in game seven, and the Canadians eked out a 2-1 win. They had done the unthinkable and come back. Here's how the Comcast announcers reacted seconds after the end of the game. I'm speechless. This Capitals team had put together One of the best seasons ever in the National Hockey League. Alex Ovechkin put everything he had on the ice. They did everything they could except get past the halak of the Montreal Canadiens. Next up in the playoffs for Montreal, the Pittsburgh Penguins. They went from having to play the best team in the league to the defending champions. From having to face one generational talent in Alexander Ovechkin, to having to face maybe the most famous hockey player at the time, Sidney Crosby. Somehow, Montreal had just beaten a first-place juggernaut, and things had only gotten harder. And they won! It was a hard-fought seven-game series, the Canadians were down 3-2, Mike Camilleri scored seven goals, rookie P.K. Subban, who had just played two games before the playoffs, was on his way to becoming a star, and of course, Halak played great. The love affair was in full bloom. In Montreal, people replaced stop signs with halak signs. They made cheesy parody ads. Trust me, it would have made sense in 2010. Next up, Montreal had to face a team on a Cinderella run of its own, the pesky Philadelphia Flyers. The two teams actually had the same number of points in the regular season. Philadelphia had the tiebreaker so they were the 7th seed and would have home ice advantage. In their second round series, the Flyers had come back from a 3 games to nothing deficit. And they were losing 3 goals to nothing in game 7. It was the first time a 7th seed and an 8th seed would ever meet in the semifinals. Really it was a battle of two underdogs. Well, Montreal lost. I didn't have a temper tantrum this time. I'd grown up a bit in the two years since they last lost to the Flyers. The magic pixie dust had run out, and it seemed like the team was just out of gas. Chicago ultimately won the Stanley Cup, beating the Flyers in the final. The backup goalie? My guy, Cristobal Huey. It would be the last act in his NHL career. Despite losing, Canadians fans had been treated to something really special. For anyone too young to remember 93, This was the best hockey they'd ever seen in their life. It wasn't just that the Canadians won two playoff rounds. It was the way they did it. The teams they beat. The players they upset. And really, how Yaroslav Halak had become this folk hero to the people of Montreal. But he didn't have long to bask in his success. On June 17th, less than a month after the Canadians bowed out from the playoffs, they traded Halak to the St. Louis Blues for Lars Eller and Ian Schultz. I can remember my mom coming downstairs to tell me about the news, no doubt worried about how I'd react, knowing how much I cared. I just sat there for a long time, processing. And then I cried. Sports are this thing that you give so much time and passion to, and then these cold, calculated business decisions and kick you in the teeth over and over again. First there was Huey, now Halak. He defied the odds, won the hearts of every fan. He showed the people that didn't believe in him, even the guy who drafted him. From a hockey standpoint, both Halak and Price needed new contracts, and the thinking was, because of the salary cap, the team couldn't afford to keep both without losing other important players. Plus, they both wanted to be the number one guy. Like QA before him, Halak had been sacrificed at the altar of Carey Price. At the time, especially to the average fan, the move was incredibly controversial. If you look on YouTube, you find a thousand and one tribute montage videos to Halak. All from summer 2010, many of them set to sad songs. Virgin Radio Montreal came out with another parody song that captured a lot of people's feelings. Cause they made a bad trade, did you Halak has been sent to the St. Louis Blues They've got him be nuts We need him in nets He stands on his head, man The guy is the best Of course, a lot of hockey people like the move and the idea of picking price over Halak in the long run. But there's just something about the ruthlessness of this analysis that will never sit right with me. I understand the trade. I don't question the wisdom of the trade. I question the wisdom of a world that makes that trade wise. To fans, especially young ones, athletes are heroes and villains, caught up in a narrative of good versus evil. To management and people really deep in the game, they're business assets. Everyone I talk to used Bob Ganey's famous description of thoroughbred when talking about Gary Price. It feels really weird to me. It must feel really weird to him too. It's ironic. The Montreal Canadiens' last link to my youth is Carey Price, the guy who stole the job from my two favorite players. Now he's heading towards the twilight of his career, and he's recognized as the best goalie in the game. One season he equaled Jose Theodore's feat of winning the Hart and Vesna trophies. He won Olympic gold with Canada and seemed unstoppable the same year, leading the Canadiens back to the third round of the playoffs, and then he got injured and the team lost. So many things have changed in the last 13 years. It's half my life. One of the only ones that hasn't is that Carey Price is still a net for the Montreal Canadiens. The narrative since 2010 has been that Carey Price is a great goalie, but the Canadians rely on him too much. They don't have a good backup, and he has to play too many games, and gets worn down by the time the playoffs roll around, or worse, he gets injured and the team has no hope. As for Halak, he bounced around to a few teams. He always put up really strong stats, but never played more than about half a season's worth of games. Maybe you think this is all just hero worship for some guys I liked when I was younger, and that ultimately, the smart hockey minds made the right decisions. If you go to the website quanthockey.com and check the all-time statistics for the Montreal Canadiens and look at who has the best save percentage ever, it's Ken Dryden, a Hall of Famer who won the Stanley Cup six times. But then if you look at who has the second best, it's Cristobal Huey, my birthday boy. If you look at who has the third best, it's Jaroslav Halak. Both of these guys were really good players for the Canadians. And for reasons beyond their control, they had to leave at the height of their powers. I'm reminded of the Dark Knight quotation. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. In his first game back in Montreal as an opponent almost two years later, Halak shut out the Canadians and got a huge standing ovation from the home crowd. Chicago won the Stanley Cup in 2010. They didn't beat the best team in the league though. They didn't beat the defending Stanley Cup champions either. Montreal did, and they showed you didn't need to have a number one overall draft pick or a big superstar player to beat anyone. That year during the playoffs, the NHL had this sentimental ad campaign. Each ad would show a big moment, and then freeze time, rewind, and ask a what-if question. This was the music. One of the ads was about a Detroit player, Pavel Dotsuk. And the question was, what if the draft ended after the fifth round? Because Dotsuk had been picked in the sixth round. And because I'm neurotic, it always bugged me. Because you see, Halak was drafted in the ninth round. The ninth round doesn't exist anymore. That's how big of an underdog Halak was. In September that year, after the trade but before the season had started, Halak did an autograph signing at a Montreal mall. 6,000 people showed up. Some of them lining up at 8am, waiting 6 hours to say thank you and goodbye to their hero. There's even a Quebec movie that came out in 2017 called Sasson la Coupe where the plot is framed around a fan in 2010, watching Halak in the playoffs. Mark joked with me that we sound like Leafs fans, talking about making the third round like it's some kind of big deal. The truth is, it is a big deal. Yaroslav Halak got his chance, and the Canadians proved every hockey analyst wrong, and showed that there's always hope. That fantastic month of hockey will probably always be the best sporting memory of my life. Even if the Canadians do win one day, I won't be this naive youth, ready to cry for 20 minutes about a hockey trade. Although stranger things have happened. Whatever does happen, no hockey trade will ever stop Jaroslav Halak from being champion in our hearts. <laughs> Champions in Our Hearts is written and produced by Joseph Few. A big special thanks to Mark Dumas and Eric Engels for their time and assistance. That's it for the season, but stick around to hear the trailer for Season 2 of Champions in Our Hearts. Thanks for listening. To put a spin on a Martin Scorsese quote, the most personal is the most profound. Professional sports wouldn't exist without you, the fan. Every point, goal, touchdown only matters because it matters to someone like you. That's why, in Season 2 of Champions In Our Hearts, I want to hear your stories, your most important sports memories, ones that other people might forget because there aren't names on some trophy. We'll keep talking with expert guests, people who covered your favorite teams, and shine some light on the underheralded sports heroes who made an impact on your life. Let me know the personal sports stories you want the world to hear about by emailing championsinourhearts at gmail.com.